You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Hello and welcome to this edition of the First Tech Podcast. My name is Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and I'm here today with Julie Fox, one of my senior managers, to talk about tax dependence, the concept of interdependency, and why it is so important when clients may be receiving a lump sum super death benefit. G'day, Julie. Hi, Craig. Great to be here. So, Julie, why are we talking about tax dependence today? Well, Craig, as we all know, if someone is a death benefits dependent under tax law, we just call them tax dependents for short, um, then they can receive lump sum super death benefits entirely tax free. So Mm -hmm. uh, this contrasts to non-dependents who can pay up to 32% tax on the death benefit if there's insurance involved. Okay. And of course, that's why obviously read contribution strategies are so good as they, you know, really help us deal with that uh, potential tax liability. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want non-dependents like adult adult children paying large amounts of tax on death benefits if they really don't have to. Um, but if a recontribution strategy hasn't totally eliminated the taxable component mm-hmm. yep. uh, of a death benefit, then maybe it's worth investigating whether the beneficiary can somehow qualify as a tax dependent. Okay, right. So advisors may be looking at helping clients decide an appropriate beneficiary to nominate in a binding death benefit nomination, or they might be dealing with a client who is sadly terminally ill or has already passed away. In this case, not only do advisors need to think about who is a valid beneficiary under super, but whether they can receive the death benefit tax-free or not. Yeah, we've got two different sets of laws to think about with dependents. So under Mm -hmm. CIS, um, the uh, dependent of a valid uh, beneficiary for a nomination would include um, a member's current spouse, including de facto and or registered relationships, yep, yep. Um, includes any of the member's children of any age yep. or um, just paying out the benefit. Yep. It includes a financial dependent and it also includes someone who has an interdependency relationship with the member and we'll be talking more about those. Um, but under tax law, it has a slightly different definition for tax dependence. So, yes, it includes spouse, but it also includes former spouse. Hmm. Um, interestingly, it excludes adult children, um, but it does include, uh, like CIS, it does include financial dependents and people that have an interdependency relationship. So the big one here is that adult children don't automatically meet the definition of a tax dependent. They have to prove that either uh, there was financial dependency or have an interdependency relationship with the deceased to be able to get the tax-free death benefits. Yeah, so if, if I just take you back there, so I've always kind of wondered, former spouse, so they can't receive the death benefit because they're not a cis-dependent, um, but if they do get it, then then they're a tax-dependent, they get it tax-free. It's a yeah. bit strange, isn't it? So I suppose that's where it gets paid through the gets paid to the LPR and dealt with under the will. And if the former spouse gets it that way, then it's tax-free. Yeah, that's right. Right. Okay. And um, adult children. So while we're all kids of our parents, so we can receive a death benefit, 
that doesn't mean we're going to get it tax free. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Um, and of course, I suppose you get those odd situations where someone other than a spouse or minor child is paid a death benefit. And if paid to the estate, they have to figure out whether that beneficiary is a tax dependent or not to know how much tax to withhold. Yeah, that's right. So it becomes really important then to determine whether that beneficiary is potentially a financial dependent on the deceased or in an interdependency relationship. Um, so let's have a look at that concept of financial dependency first. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, the term dependent isn't defined in the tax law, so you know what that means. Mm, yeah, <laughs> lovely old court cases. Yeah, common law. Mm. Um, so I don't want to drag you too far down that track, but uh, the courts have determined that dependent means financial dependent for these purposes. Uh, and the level of financial support has to be substantial. Uh, partially or partly dependent isn't a concept within the definition. So the person has to be wholly or substantially dependent. Uh, for an advisor's purposes, it's probably helpful um, to look at some examples from ATO rulings. Oh, good. So, okay, yep, absolutely practical examples. That always helps. Yeah. So, so in a lot of circumstances, like we said, someone's trying to substantiate the financial dependence between an adult child and a parent. And the outcomes can be very different depending on the specific facts of each scenario. So... Um, in the first ruling that I looked at, um, the beneficiary, who was an adult child, mm -hmm. resigned from her job to care for her parent, right. uh, and she was financially dependent on her parent for more than a year prior to that parent's death. So in this scenario, um, her parent, I'm not quite sure whether it was mother or father here, accepted responsibility for the daughter's mortgage repayments and other expenses, including her groceries, her utilities and car-related costs. And the ATO found that the daughter was financially dependent on the deceased at the time of death. Um, so it's... Yeah, so I suppose what, what, when you look at that, okay, so she was this a situation of terminal illness? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. So, so obviously the daughter's given up her, her income. There's no way to support herself because she's providing care to, to her parent. Um, and on that basis, the parent was supporting her financially all the way through there. Um, and so they've said, okay, yes, dependent. But in that case, the level of financial support was really quite substantial. Yeah, really significant. Okay. Do you have an example where it hasn't turned in the favour of the taxpayer? Well, there was certainly plenty to choose from. I can imagine uh, <laughs> there'd be probably the vast majority. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in another ruling, um, it was it was actually the adult child who passed away and the parent was trying to substantiate financial dependence on the son who had passed away. So in this case, the parent uh, only received a superannuation income stream um, and the son had been employed and received employment income. Right. The son provided half the funds for the purchase of a property held solely in his own name um, so that his father could live in it yep. because the father wasn't eligible for any finance. Mm -hmm. And the son paid for the insurance and the council rates and the body corporate fees. Now, the father paid the son rent because he had a super mm. income stream mm. and the father also paid for his own groceries and utilities and general living expenses. So, yeah, I can see it. So that sounds like pretty financial support, but I can also, there's indicators there where you're kind of given the ATO wiggle room here. So how did it turn out? Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, 
in this particular case, the ATO found um, that there wasn't financial dependency. They found the wiggle room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they found there wasn't anything to suggest that the arrangement was anything more than mutual convenience between mm. a parent and an adult child rather than one of financial dependency. So if, if you look at it, the father was fairly independent. I yeah. mean, it was really nice of the son to provide this house, but he paid rent, he paid his own living expenses. So it was... Sounds a, like a financial arrangement rather than financial dependency, yes, doesn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. I think that was the thing. So, you know, quite different outcome, quite a different outcome from that first scenario. Yeah, um, each scenario's outcome is going to be so dependent on the facts of the particular case. So in both these cases, we had someone essentially paying the mortgage uh, for the other person. However, in the first case, the adult child was um, so reliant uh, on mm. groceries, utilities, day-to-day -day expenses, Everything. really um, a substantial financial dependence. In the second case, parents still fairly independent, paying rent, paying their groceries and living expenses. So it's interesting when you go back and look at that first one, though, could you also kind of now, obviously, it's done and dusted, but you could kind of say, well, is is the parent paying all of that to get the support? Is that a financial arrangement as well? It's yeah, maybe they got lucky on that one. I don't know. Yeah, You, don't, you know. don't see all the facts. Um, the private rulings are you know, quite redacted and abbreviated. So um, it can and it, it can appear a little bit inconsistent because uh, we don't know every single detail of yeah. the situation. But I think it does depend on how how the facts are presented. Yeah. So I suppose the, the moral story here is financial dependency has to be substantial and it has to be necessary. Um, if, if someone can't substantiate financial dependence, then we really need to turn to the next option, which is interdependency. Um, but from memory, doesn't that also require financial dependence as well? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, one key difference between interdependency and financial dependency is that in, in an interdependent relationship, either the beneficiary or the deceased must provide the financial support to the other party. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah, that's in contrast to financial d dependency where the beneficiary must be the one who receives the substantial financial support from the deceased. So financial dependence is a far more onerous hurdle to prove than simply financial support from one party to the other. Okay, so this, this gives an advisor, I suppose, another option. So what are the other requirements to substantiate interdependency? Okay, so unlike financial dependency, an interdependency relationship is specifically defined in the Tax Act yes. and the regulations. Um, so. Great big long definition, isn't it? Huge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it does boil down to four key requirements. Um, so the beneficiary and the deceased have to have a close personal relationship. Mm -hmm. They must live together. Mm -hmm. uh, one or each of them must provide the other with financial support. Mm -hmm. And one or each of them must provide the other with domestic support and personal care. Okay, so uh, you've looked at some of these private rulings um, to look for any commonalities that may apply so yeah yeah um there's there is a host of private rulings there's over 340 of them over oh, the last 16 years just on me. just on interdependency relationships tell me you didn't go and read all the those. <laughs> i didn't i would have loved to <laughs> but i only looked about uh, 30 of the most most recent ones mm. and I've, I've picked a few examples to to kind of contrast the situations that occur 
Okay, so let's start with maybe one that would illustrate when, um, let's think, let's try an adult child was found to be a tax dependent of their parents. Yeah, I just happen to have an example. Oh, right? Funny that. <laughs> um, so this one's from February 2022. Okay, um, so not that long ago. Yeah, yep. fairly recent yep. one. Yep. Um, so the beneficiary was an adult child and they, they were found to have an independent relationship with um, the mother at the time of death. So when you look through these rulings, uh, each of them systematically go through those four criteria that uh, we outlined mm -hmm. that has to be met. And generally speaking, it's not expected that an adult child will have an interdependency relationship with their parents. Um, the close personal relationship has to go beyond the usual relationship between an adult child and a parent. Okay. So even where you're doing a lot of care for a terminally ill parent, for example, the ATO kind of expects, well, that's the normal would that relationship. Be, would that be parent. your duty as normal duty as a, as a loyal, loving son or daughter? Exactly. Mm. So in this particular case the daughter provided her mother her mother with intensive and ongoing emotional and domestic support and had a very close relationship with her and this was kind of substantiated prior to the time the mother actually became terminally ill mm -hmm. so in this case the mother uh, it's a bit of a sad case the, the mother was a chronic alcoholic and had chronic anxiety and depression and liver disease oh, and so the daughter initially lived with her father but spent weekends with the mother in her teenage years um, when she often had to ring the ambulance for her mother, um, uh, had to clean up after her after ep episodes and then look after her dogs and cleaning and so right, forth yep. when she was in hospital. Mm -hmm. um, so she, the daughter later moved in with her mother when she became a bit older on a permanent basis. And, and as an adult, they planned to continue to live together um, while the mother was still alive. So here the daughter was the carer for her mother, um, but the mother also provided financial support to the daughter. Uh, she, she did have employment income and profits from investments. Wow. Wow. Okay. So n not a happy scenario, but it ticked all, ticked all the boxes, right? So you can kind of see that they're, that level of, relationship is going up and beyond what you would yeah, normally it's out of the ordinary yeah. for sure um so this one had more unusual circumstances um with um that close relationship with the mother um but all scenarios between sick parents and their adult children don't have the same outcome um there's a ruling from october 21 that has a very different outcome again okay so all right talk us through that one so this one, the the adult child was not financially dependent on the deceased parent. Um, the adult paid, they were employed, had, mm -hmm. had a job, and they paid for expenses relating to the parent's illness that included pharmacy expenses and car parking fees and fuel, um, hospital care and medical appointments. Uh, they provided personal care and assistance. They took time off work to take them to appointments and... They did live with the parent for a number of weeks prior to their death. Okay, so, hmm, yeah, so I, that first criteria, close personal personal relationship, what did the ATO find here? I, I kind of, I'm kind of looking at that going, well, yes, you, you've helped out, but 
is is that up and beyond what you would normally be expected to do as a child? Well, they they actually ticked the box on this one. They oh. found a close personal relationship yeah. existed, evidenced by significant care and support to the parent throughout their illness, intensive and ongoing emotional support, okay, right. and a level of care exceeding the care and comfort that would usually be provided to an adult child to a parent. So then criteria two, living together, uh, is straightforward. They were living together at the time of death? The previous one where the daughter had uh, pretty much moved in on a permanent basis yeah. and said, I'm going to look after you for life, Mum, because you've yeah. got these chronic problems. Yeah. Um, this one was, oh, I'm moving in for the time being because, you know, we're, we're in our last weeks. Right, okay. So the, there was that degree of permanency that was missing here. Um, and they also failed to meet the requirements uh, of providing financial support. But hang on, didn't you say that they paid pharmacy expenses, but they can be really substantial and car and fuel expenses? Well, surprisingly, the ATO found that the expenses paid for weren't substantial enough to pass as financial support. There's obviously a lot of detail that isn't provided mm. in these rulings. So sometimes the outcomes can appear a little bit inconsistent. Okay, so they've failed two of the criteria already, so it's not looking good. No. Um, the adult child failed on the domestic support and personal care criteria as well. Um, the ATO found that it wasn't frequent or ongoing in nature, and the domestic support that they're looking for um, usually um, means things like household shopping, cleaning, laundry, stuff like that. Um, and personal care usually consists of things like uh, um, helping out with mobility, personal hygiene, mm. and generally ensuring that, um, uh, you know, looking after their emotional comfort and, and their physical comfort. Right. So here you've got two fairly similar cases, adult children living with a terminally ill parent, providing care and some level of financial support, but obviously two very different outcomes. Yeah, so... Each case is unique, and I think this really illustrates it, um, that you can't rely on a private ruling for someone else's circumstances that you think looks pretty similar to yours. Yeah, so the moral story here, don't rely on someone else's, get your own private funding ruling. Yeah, absolutely. That's, uh, it, it, those rulings only apply to the people that receive yeah, them. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, but, but it's worth being familiar with the four criteria so that you know whether a, a client has a fighting chance of being successful. Uh, because if a client fails any one of those four criteria, it, it wouldn't be worth pursuing, right? Well, there are two. I'm pretty sure you told me there's two exceptions. Ah, there is. Um, and the first is disability. Um, okay. As long as the two parties have a close personal relationship, so that one criteria is necessary, the other three criteria don't necessarily have to be met if the reason that they're not met is because... Um, either of the parties are suffering from a disability, whether that be physical, intellectual, or psychiatric. Um, so there's, I've got, I found an example of another ruling where an adult child was found. Um, yes, he had a close personal relationship with his parents that went beyond the usual parental relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, the parents were providing substantial financial support for the adult child, and they were also providing domestic support and personal care. However, the son didn't live with them due to a psychiatric disability that he'd suffered for most of his life. 
So in this case, the parties were still found to have an interdependency relationship, but under this disability exception, it didn't matter that they weren't living together. Okay. Well, well that's good. Well, what about temporarily living apart? Yeah, that's the other big exception. Um, the parties, again, still got to have that close personal relationship, but you don't have to meet the other three remaining criteria if this is due to temporarily living apart. So, for example, if one person might be in jail or they might be working overseas, something like that. Okay. Temporarily living apart when you're in jail? Yes. Well, it depends on how long you... Does that come into it? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, there's rulings on those ones too. Yeah. You can find a ruling on, on just about every scenario here. But uh, we've quite covered a, a lot of ground in a short period here today. Yeah. All right. Well, if I can summarise. So, obviously, we... We want to prove interdependency if a beneficiary of a super death benefit lump sum is not someone that's going to get it tax-free, so spouse, minor child, or financial dependent, as obviously that's going to save us a lot of tax, either 17%, including Medicare, on taxable component tax element, and up to 32%, including Medicare, for taxable component untaxed element, such as when there's some life insurance proceeds. Um, and in this case, the four main criteria that we really need to have a look at because they need to be met are that the beneficiary and the deceased must have a close personal relationship. And if, if that's a parent and a child, it has to be something more than just what someone would expect through that uh, normal parent-child relationship. Um, they must live together. Uh, one or each of them must provide the other, what was it, with financial support and one or each of them must also provide the other with domestic support and personal care. Now, also there are two exceptions, uh, disability and living apart temporarily. I suppose the, the really hard part here for advisors is that as we've seen two seemingly pretty similar cases can have quite different outcomes. So it's, it may be worthwhile for a client to seek their own private binding ruling if the super trustee is, is really just not satisfied that the beneficiary is a tax dependent. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't come to that. And obviously it depends on the case, you know, perhaps they're not. Mm. But if an advisor is familiar with the criteria that the trustee uses to determine the interdependency, then if the sufficient evidence is presented to the trustee when the benefit's being paid, then the advisor might be able to make the process a lot smoother for their yep. client. That yep. It might be just a matter of presenting that information succinctly, sticking to those four criteria and making it really plain and simple um, and perhaps getting over the line with that, yeah. with that decision. Because the trustee is going to apply this approach as well because they know, you know, they can read like we can. They know what the ATO is looking at. Um, and in that case, you know, may, maybe it is great, may, maybe. But if you actually demonstrated in that way, at least you're cutting out that, you know, you go and give the trustee all this information. They come back and say, well, we need to know this, this and this. Whereas if you'd had those four criteria right up front, you could have already given that information to allow them to make a decision in the first place. So, you know... Um, just having a good understanding of that process, I think, will be key here. Yeah, yeah, just presenting the information you've got in the best yeah, light. Best light possible, yeah, yeah and, and leave it to them. Um, all right, I think that pretty much sums it up. Thanks, Julie. Thanks, Greg. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please note these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors as a source of general information. 
All scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.